welcome back to the Moral Minority Show. This season, we are discussing hashtag Black Lives Matter, the Black experience in America. And today, our episode is titled Out of Africa. We're going to discuss the experience of um, immigrant Africans in America and their perspectives on what it means to be a part of the Black community in America, but also separate from the um, Blacks in America who are descended from slaves. And so um, today on the podcast, we have my great friend, Mickey Gashaw. Mickey is a second generation Ethiopian American, um, and he's just been you know, a really good friend to me for going on six years. Is that right? Six plus. And um, yeah, he's here. He's got a lot of thoughts about what it means to be African, what it means to be black, what it means to be American. And we're going to discuss all of that. So, Mickey, thanks for coming on the show. Why don't you uh, go ahead and kind of introduce yourself at a high level? Sure. Thanks for having me, guys. Um, Yeah, as Joel said, I am a second generation, which is the term that we've just agreed to now. Second generation (laughs) Ethiopian American. Uh, And my parents, as that says, immigrated here. uh, My my dad came in in the early 80s. Uh, He got kind of a lucky turn of events where he, you know, got a, a, a obtained a visa and was able to, uh, immigrate from Ethiopia to the United States. Uh, he only knew one person in the United States and that person had to live, happened to live in Houston. That's the only reason why he came to Houston specifically, uh, ended up fast forward a little bit. He met my mom, uh, they got married and they immigrated here. And then and then that's kind of how here in the United States, we grew up in Houston, Texas. And uh, yeah, I've had obviously had to kind of deal with this, you know, being Ethiopian, our culture is very important to us. And it was highlighted from an early age. Uh, I mean, we went to, we spoke the language at the house. We ate the food. We had, I had many Ethiopian friends. We went to an Ethiopian church. Uh, I was surrounded by my culture. And so to kind of balance these two areas and for those of the listeners that know, like I, I grew up, I didn't grow up like in a suburb. I grew up, I grew up in Houston. So kind of the Southwest, Southwest Houston, A-Leaf, that's the school district that I, I grew up in. Yeah. Uh, and so we were, I guess, surrounded by, it was a pretty diverse community. There's a lot of, there's a lot of, there's a lot of black Americans. I guess that's where we're going to kind of go by that. Cause mm-hmm. it's going to be, we don't want to be confusing right. as, as we discuss this. So I'm going to, I guess, refer to uh, Americans, Black Americans as, as Black Americans, and then uh, Ethiopian Americans. We'll just call it like that for now. Uh, so in terms of that, I had a lot of Black friends, and I had a lot of Ethiopian friends. And those friends were, I guess, they weren't necessarily they were men in different spheres of my life, right? One was church and one was school and, uh, and friends that in the neighborhood and stuff. So, uh, but yeah, that's kind of a, a large overview. I get, I know we'll get into a little more, but yeah, that's, that's a little bit about me and it's kind of where I grew up and the, what I've been shaped by. I'm going to jump in for two seconds. I don't know if we talked about this, that first time that me and you met up at a uh, Joel's house. Um, but th- I, I did tell you that I, I went to Hastings for a little bit. I was in high school. Did we talk about that? I don't think so. 
don't think so. I'm feeling yeah. that. <laughs> that's crazy. That was dope when you mentioned uh, when you mentioned A Leaf. What, what yeah. did you go to Celtic or Hastings or Taylor? I was or? I was on I was on to Taylor. I ended ah. up I ended up moving to I, I went to Hollow Middle School, and I was going to go to Taylor, but then that's when my parents they bought a house and we moved. So we went to we went to we went to Sugarland, and okay. I went. That's why I went to high school. Okay. But yeah, I, 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 that's, I was there. I was going to go to Taylor until like the last minute, and then we yeah. moved. So, Dude, that's so dope. Yeah, I, I loved, I loved Hastings. It was definitely like, it was a fresh experience because I was used to going to schools with a little bit more um, racial diversity. It's very few white people. It was like very Hispanic and black, and mm-hmm. uh, and so it was, it was quite an experience, and I, I loved it. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. So actually, on that topic, uh, Mickey, I think you've told me before that the area in which you grew up was actually kind of rough um and just like josh was saying it's a majority minority as well and so yeah. is it common for african immigrants to end up in these urban centers or is it more common for them to end up in the suburbs first because i know for for asian immigrants they almost always go to the suburbs exclusively mm-hmm. uh, I, uh, that's that's not true i mean <laughs> my my personal yeah. experience my network my connections yeah. end up in the suburbs but i mean there's if they end up in the hood, they normally come in as like, um, we should have talked about this a little bit more in the episode with Andrew, but they yeah. normally are some, they have some kind of like they own a convenience store. Right. Or, right so they're very right. isolated from the community. Yeah. Um, yes. If they, even if they do end up in the hood. So that's yeah, it's awesome. more common for East Asians to build little, you know, Chinatowns or Korea towns in these urban centers. <laughs> but for South Asians like me, it's, it's less common. I haven't heard of that as much, but anyway, sorry. Sure. Maybe yeah, yeah, so, yeah. To answer to answer your question, I think it. I think it's the the answer is basically it determines on who you know, right? Mm-hmm. If the most people you know kind of live in the hood, you're gonna want you gravitate towards people that you know mm-hmm. and places that you're comfortable with. And uh, I mean, for my for my family, for those that I guess my my extended family that that did decide to immigrate when they when they would visit, if they did ever come. That's another subject for another day. Uh, if they did ever come, they would probably see where we would live or where one of their family members would live, and they would move pretty close to there. Uh, and but so I would say it depends on who you know. But I've seen both. I've seen I've seen you know Africans that immigrate, move you know in the like I guess in the hood. Um, one because it's probably cheaper because you're starting out from nothing most of the time. And a lot of times when people do come from from Ethiopia, at least in my case, they'll move in with their family members for a little bit and just kind of get their feet on, out up under them, you know, find, help get help finding a job and, you know, get driven around and kind of, it takes a while really to get yourself established here. Mm-hmm. And, and so that's what I've seen in my my experience is that usually you 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 live near who you know, and before that you live with who you know. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I'm curious. There's a <clears throat> there's things that I think I observe. You know, who knows? I'm 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 observing with the with the uh, without a lot of information. But there's things that I feel like I observe as distinctions between. Um, Black Americans and we could just call it African Americans. Yeah, that's we easy. were talking before the show. And we were kind of confused because it's like, actually, Mickey's actually an African American, and I would just get described as an African American. So we can go with that for this episode because I think that's actually the most proper um, 
kind of distinction to make. So as a, I think there, there are distinctions that I notice between Black Americans and African Americans, people who've um, actually come from Africa as opposed to people who are descendants of slaves, as Joel said at the beginning of the episode. Um, but from a from a guy who's who's actually African, what what what's kind of what's kind of your perspective on like what are kind of kind of some of the distinguishing marks that you notice culturally between um especially you particularly being from Ethiopia and what you experience from um black Americans here in the States? That's a that's a great question, Josh. Uh I wanna so I'll answer that question with a story. Uh, so growing up, some of you, some of you may have experienced at least people that are African. We could probably relate to the story I'm about to say. But when I was younger in elementary school, some maybe even closer to middle school, uh, whenever I would mention, if you know, I look, I look like I'm mixed. Mm-hmm. So I get that all the time. You know, what do you mix with? You, you're black and you're this. You're black and you're that. I've heard, I've heard a lot of different theories of what i am and so (laughs) and so when i tell people that i'm ethiopian they're they're surprised one because they assume someone from africa is supposed to have dark skin right exclusively it's not always the case um and and then going back to that there was a story when i was in when i was in fifth grade i remember i was on the bus I was on the bus going to school or something and someone found out I was African and they would call me, they would, they'd use the term African booty scratcher. Y'all remember that? Oh yeah. You oh, remember that? Never heard that. All the time, right? All <laughs> the time. Oh, terrible, that, would get, that would get me so mad. Dang, y'all savage. So mad. Yeah. <laughs> and so there was kind of this line in the sand, right? Like you look like us, but you're not really us. That's what I felt like uh, at times, especially with like, you know, my black friends. And so us Africans, we would really huddle together and we would get really close. So I had a lot of really close Nigerian friends, like West African friends. I had some, um, obviously I told uh, a lot of Ethiopian friends. So I would, we would really relate on that level culturally because we both knew what it was like to, like not like belong, but not really. And then also we had a lot of cultural similarities, especially with immigrant parents. Mm. You know, we would, Mm. we would, we would chop on each other's immigrant parents, the accents and have some fun with that. And we do that all the time. And so that was a way for us to bond with each other. So, and yeah, it's it, go ahead. kind of ironically, like that's uh, one of the big reasons Mickey and I bonded with it, we, with each other so much in college was that we were both had immigrant parents and in the same, it's, I mean, it was the same thing. Like we would chop on each other's like immigrant, just these, these little isms, <laughs> these little quirks that we picked up and we realized mm-hmm. and we're like, Oh, just immigrant things. Um, and it was, it was just a huge bonding <laughs> experience for us in the same in it's i was able to connect with mickey in a lot of ways that our black friends would not be able to which is kind of Mm -hmm. weird because i'm indian that's cool i I wanted to follow up with something a question or a thought and tell me what you think about this mickey like i uh piggybacking off of the the african booty scratcher comment Mm -hmm. like i remember like growing up and I remember one of the 
one of the rationales that I would have with myself to kind of cope with slavery. And it's actually a, a, a documented rationale that has ended up in some academic spaces. It's false, but it, but it, but it historically, it has been a rationale that people have had for, from different perspectives. But one of the rationales that I had growing up to kind of cope with slavery was like, well, you know what? It's good that I, that my ancestors were brought over from slavery because then I didn't have to live in Africa because there was a racist idea that I had growing up that Africa was this uncultivated kind of bestial land. And it's like, well, thank God I get to be here in America where there's capitalism and there's mm-hmm. resources and all those different things. And I've even heard, you know, of course, and like I said, historically, we, there's actually been, there had been um, black Americans who have written like, thank God we got brought over here because we got Christianity or thank God we got brought over here because we got civilized. And um, of course that stuff's been debunked. Um, Mm -hmm. But I, that was one of the racist ideas that we carried as kids that we communicated to and about Africans that we knew in school or that we engaged with. And I'd love to just hear your thoughts on like, one, just kind of debunking that, like just from what your own experiences and the rich culture that you experienced from Ethiopia and different places. Um, mm-hmm. And then, yeah, just like you've already kind of verbalized how that felt, but how you maybe engage that or like maybe challenge that even growing up. Yeah. Let me, let me preface my comments by saying this. I'm extremely proud of my culture. Uh, and I bred, it, it provides me a lot. It provides me a sense of belonging. And, uh, there's, there's like a, you feel, I feel, I feel a great closeness mm-hmm. with my heritage. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, I mean, growing up, I, even then, like I, those comments really attacked my security within my own culture. Mm-hmm. It made me even question, man, like, why don't why can't I just be a regular black American and that doesn't have this culture or I guess this this label that can be so easily attacked? Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, I I dealt with a lot of shame about my culture, particularly not only that my my name my name my my I go by Mickey as my nickname, but my real name is Milkius. Mm-hmm. Uh, Milkius is um, is was my given name. It, it's translated in English as Malachi. Uh, mm. and, and I'm Harik. So a lot of oftentimes growing up in school, I would get, I would dread when a sub would come in because this would be another opportunity where to get my name just slaughtered. Mm. Right. And I would have to kind of, um, I guess for just take it in and mm. get embarrassed again. You know, I kind of already, I dread, I dreaded the first day of school because I'd have to do this all over again with a new set of teachers. And then every time a sub would come in, I have to re-explain my name uh, and, you know, I could either tell them I go by Mickey or just correct them. Uh, sometimes I, I think in high school, I decided just to exclusively go by Mickey after it just, it just took too much effort for me to explain it. Once I did, it was fine, but I was, I was, I was, I was, I was pretty shamed, ashamed of it. Mm-hmm. And as I grew older, and as I grew older, I, my appreciation for my culture grew and I was, I grew in that, in my, in my pride of it. Uh, and whenever I would see, uh, 
I went. I also went to Texas A and M uh, with Joel. And whenever I would see like e- Ethiopians can spot other Ethiopians, mm. uh, you can just tell there's some facial features and uh, that you can notice about an Ethiopian, at least if you're another one, because you've been around them for so long. And so when I would see them, we would immediately, you know, we'd speak, we'd start speaking Amharic to each other. We would immediately bond over certain things because you just don't see a lot of us, at least in College Station at the mm. time. So, yeah, to answer your question, it's uh, to debunk the theory of, oh, I, I'm happy that I got to go to America it's because America is a much better place. It's painted in this uh, a light of, I guess, like, you know, we're talking you know, the, the white savior mentality, right? Mm-hmm. Like black people can't get it right. Mm-hmm. So therefore, you should be in a place like America where the society is, for the most part, predominantly what at the time was dominated by white people mm-hmm. right because they get it right mm. as opposed to africans who can't get out of their own way mm. um mm. and that's that can be further from the truth right that can be further from the truth the the amount of the 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 the, the, f- the familial aspect of ethiopia that i know my the way that my family loves each other yes yeah, sure they may not have the resources right and that's that's not even to be uh, there's there's really no comparison in terms of resources that America has been gifted with and Ethiopia just doesn't have. But uh, that doesn't necessarily mean the, the way of life in Ethiopia and in other countries in Africa is somehow less than. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, I mean, as I grew older, I grew more and more of my appreciation. And I know now now that I'm married, I'm married to an, a, an, a Salvadorian woman. And uh, and she appreciates my culture just like I just the same way, same manner that I appreciate hers. And so we are we're gonna we're we're planning on making a concerted effort to make sure that our 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 not just my culture but hers as well gets passed down to our kids because we want to make sure that they know who they are and where they come from, and that it's important uh, it's important to know that. Mm-hmm. So I love that distinction you made the resource distinction. I used to. Is that is an, I mean, man, we we're just so indoctrinated with racist ideas in this country that it just doesn't matter who you are. You mm-hmm. you uh, you um, you affirm them in your mind and, and don't know how to navigate through that. I remember growing up and, you know, like wanting to be in like white spaces because I assumed, oh, man, that's just where the better stuff is. Like we go on bigger trips at that church or, you know, you know, as the youth, you know, kid, mm-hmm. um, or, you know, their houses are nicer and I get better snacks and we have more fuller dinners and, you know, their parents do fun stuff for us. And, and I used to equate that with, it was a better space. Like it was morally superior. It was, <clears throat> it was, um, it was the family was better, like all that stuff. And I came to realize over time, through of course, reading, <coughs> studying, learning, like, no, like my family was just as awesome slash had just as much flaws as the other families or the other churches that I was going to. They just had more money, <laughs> which which is not a moral superiority or a racial superiority. You just, if you have more resources, sometimes it looks more glamorous. But then when you get into the nitty gritty, 
I would find out stuff and I'd be like, oh my goodness, that family's got problems, you know, mm. or that church has problems. And it was, so I love that. I love that distinction that you made with America and Ethiopia. It's like you experienced just as rich humanity there. There was just, there's just more stuff here, which is no, which is not indicative of anything being truly superior. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I love that. Distinction. Mickey, why don't you tell us a little bit more about the African immigrant experience? Um, what are some of the major countries that, uh, where that send African immigrants to America? And what are some of the major reasons that they emigrate to America? Hmm. Well, dating back to when my dad emigrated to America, his, a lot of, some of the reasons behind that was one, uh, as I may have mentioned prior to the beginning of the show, uh, my dad was uh, a so there was in, in Ethiopia in the early 70s, there was there was an emperor in power named uh, Emperor Haile Selassie, and he had been in power for many years prior to that. But uh, there was kind of an uprising, a grassroots uprising of opposing communist parties. Communist idealism was growing in the country, and there was a large amount of people uh, that wanted to see those, see those ideals lived out within the country so anyway fast forward a little bit one ends up taking power uh and the emperor just the emperor's was no more and this communist um leader named mungus to halamariam and takes power and my dad at the time he was a teen he was a young teenager and he was somewhat supportive he, he was supportive of the opposing communist party and that party that party at the time was deemed to be uh, radical and a threat. And so a lot of those people were put to death, were basically uh, fugitives from the law and were, were hunted by their military personnel. Um, my dad at the time was not like heavily involved, as I was saying earlier, but he did support them and he knew people that were being shot and killed for the support of the opposing party. Uh, so at the time it was, there was some unrest, some, uh, so a lot of, a lot of instability at the time. And my dad was really not planning on coming to the country, but anyway, he decided uh, going with a friend to who was wanting to apply to the visa lottery. At the time there was a lottery system and only a certain number of people were uh, visas were admitted uh, to them so he decided to apply for one and he got lucky and got it and left so a little bit of backstory for my dad he decided to leave for two reasons one the instability of the country and his his links to the opposing party could potentially put his life at risk and then also because he thought maybe this would be a better life for him uh, at the time he was a young kid he was a young guy and he, he was kind of able to kind of pick up and leave so he did that in terms of other countries, uh, I see that pretty often as well. Political asylum is a common theme of people deciding to leave, uh, especially with inst- uh, with uh, if there's any government instability that causes a lot of fear and people decide to leave the country for that. Uh, a lot of times it's the American dream, right? That you hear about, 
it, you know, it's it's funny whenever when I went back to Ethiopia and I would tell people where I was from, you know, I'd hang out with the I'd hang out with my friends there and we would be playing soccer and we would talk and they would, you know, we'd talk, they would, they'd be so enamored with America and they'd just t- tell me everything about America. And I would tell them every, you know, everything I knew. And it's as if to, in their minds, America's streets were paved with gold. This is what they're, this is what they're imagining. Right. And they're like, man, it must be great there. And to a certain extent, yes, I, I was afforded some wonderful benefits of being here, right? With some, I mean, the, as, you know, able to go to a university, not to say there aren't great universities in Ethiopia, because there are, mm-hmm. um, but I was, but I was able to, you know, certain, certain sacrifices that my parents made by moving here. I was the beneficiary of those, my sister included. And there are some things that are, you know, that I love about this country, but then also it's not, the the elevation of america when when you're in ethiopia versus when you're actually here they're different they're different depictions right because you don't see no one tells you about that you gotta you know you have to you gotta work you no one just hands out anything here you have to you gotta earn what you get and uh there there's these images of you know you walk off the plane and you know you're making you're making a thousand dollars. Boom. Like, it's just like this, like there's money everywhere. There's opportunities everywhere. And that's not the case really. It's not, it's not reality. So you have to battle those, those concepts of the American dream. And then when, when people come here, they realize, Oh, that's not exactly, that's not exactly what I envisioned it was going to be like. And so you have to battle against those. And I think my family members that did immigrate after we got here, they they did have to battle that because it wasn't as easy and it wasn't as smooth of a process as they anticipated it would be just by coming here. Hmm. Did you um so I'm I'm curious, like what what was uh your view? I know that I know that as you talked about earlier, like African American or black Americans said some pretty awful things about African people to you as a, as a kid and to your, to kind of groups of African um, students at the time. Mm-hmm. So like, what was y'all's perspective, not just of those hurtful comments, but just overall of like black America, black culture, like how did you guys view that stuff? Mm-hmm. So I'll give you the perspective of my parents mm-hmm. and then the perspective of their kids. Mm-hmm. They're completely different, right? <laughs> completely different. So the perspective of my parents and my people that are my parents' age, they their perception of Black Americans are they're you know a lot you know they're either involved in like criminal activity or drugs or they're they're bad people. There's like a lot of fear about black America, which I don't, I don't necessarily understand. I think my parents as time has passed and as they're kind of being confronted with their own, with their own prejudices against black America, they're realizing, Whoa, like that's not, uh, that wasn't right. But in the beginning, that's what, what, that was what a lot of them felt. And, uh, and, and so that was, that's, I guess that was, that's the biggest thing. And so they just, a lot of, a lot of the times assume that black America, like, you know, they sag in pants and rap music and, 
and you know um misogyny and all this stuff right mm-hmm. like that's just what they painted this picture that all that black america if if you ask them tell me certain you know describe black america that's what they would tell you mm-hmm. they would tell you that mm-hmm. um but their kids like myself and people my age and you know older and younger they don't think like that mm. um they they embrace i think for the most part we embrace black america even mm. even through the 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 comments mm. right like the comments that i endured and i know others did too um we love black america right like mm. we love the culture we don't just we don't just love uh you know we don't just love the culture either i think we love the people too mm. and i think some people uh I heard I heard Jalen Rose say this one time. I think it was maybe last month or two months ago, man. But I, this is probably the most one of the most profound things I've heard. He said, "Man, I wish America would just love our love our people just as much as they love our culture." And that's true because mm-hmm. people do want to just pick and pick and choose the portion mm-hmm. of Black culture that they like, and just and completely just get rid of the cries of the people, right? Because mm-hmm. they don't want to hear that. They just want to they just want their you know they like their beats right and they'll pull they'll pull a drake lyric out they'll pull this out and they'll you know what i mean like they right. but they don't embrace they don't embrace the totality of the black experience mm-hmm. they just they just pick and choose what they want and what they're comfortable with and what they can retweet and what they can share mm-hmm. right for their own enjoyment but right. they don't but do they really love the people though right. i think that's the biggest thing and and i think for people like me and people uh like you know, people like me and my age and kind of my, with our experience of being in America, we, we love the people. Mm-hmm. We love to be around them. We love to hang out with them. We, we love to commune with them. And I think even as, as we, as I've grown older, I've grown in my fondness and, and I think I've always had it, but I've also, but it's been continuing to grow in my fondness for black America. And I think black America has grown in their fondness for African Americans too. Mm-hmm. That's a, I think that's a, that's a big deal too. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's not as much, oh, like you come from this place that's always poor and depicted as this continent that's starving all the time. And that mm-hmm. doesn't, that's like you were saying, bestial or mm-hmm. people that lack resources and, and food and water and, and this and that. And, but I think they have kind of begun to embrace, you know, their the cultures of their ancestors prior to them being shipped over right as slaves mm-hmm. they realize man like that that's that's who i am like that's where i'm from uh, i think there's a there's a rapper uh there's a, there's a there's a christian rapper who's kind of becoming more and more involved in this in this uh in this uh sphere of social justice and reform uh mm-hmm. pro hip-hop which is a good example uh mm-hmm. propaganda as i think mm-hmm. is his name but mm-hmm. he is a guy that kind of speaks about that too like being like tracing back to our you know their the, for black america going back to kind of where everything all started which was africa right and and their descendants and trying to i guess locate where where you're from and where home where home was or is i think it's termed is you know i know we're all <laughs> americas but americans at the moment but you know there's there was a place there was a time where not, neither, none of us were here, right? Like our ancestors were from a foreign land. We're all foreigners at the end of the day mm-hmm. to this land. Yeah. So 
And we still experience so much like, you know, I, I'm a big, I do a lot of research on hip hop. It's a really important genre to me. And I think it's so big now that I think just kind of everyone has their kind of take on it. And so I always try to like, um, just try to remind people, hey, it's fun and it's energetic and it's exciting, but it is like a very complex um, and academic space. Mm-hmm. And one of the things that I always am so intrigued to learn about hip hop is just how much of its sound, flavor, um, content is rooted um, from its African ancestry. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's just a that's just a a, a really large um conversation for a different day but it's like but it but it's like to it's not a it's not a it is a uniquely american um made genre of music but it has such deep roots from its original space and i love one of the pieces you brought up of like um that black americans are starting to view um our african heritage and our african um, brothers and sisters here in the States, African-American brothers and sisters here in the States with much more dignity. And I think a lot of that's just everyone just kind of stopping to think now. I think mm. both sides didn't do a great job of stopping and thinking. So one of the guys that I'm just really just soaking up everything he has to say right now is Ibram Kendi. Ibram X. Kendi wrote a great book called How to Be an Anti-Racist. And in the book, he he's a professor and he was engaging with an African student. And that African student was, I mean, like drilling black culture, like drilling African-Americans. Like he was like, he was, he was going in. And Ibrahim was like, man, the, the class was like full of uh, full of uh, black people. And he was like, man, this, this dude's not going to make it when he's walking. <laughs> but, uh, but he's like, he's like drilling uh, black culture. And Ibram asked him, he's like, so where'd you, where'd you get that information from? And he was like, why, white, white America. And he was like, oh, that's interesting. He was like, well, what, what if, what if I would ask any of these black students about African culture and like, and, and if they had some really awful things to say, um, where, where do you think they would have gotten it from? And he was like, Okay, I, I see what you're saying. <laughs> and I think that's kind of what we did. Both sides, we did that. We just internalized long um, historical racist ideas about each side. And we were just like, oh, we don't like y'all because of that. And it's like, well, we're not that. Oh, okay. <laughs> well, maybe we do. <laughs> right. Like, and I just think once we just stopped to think about it, like, hey, one, Africa is a continent with a crate hundreds of, of countries in it. And it's like, all these countries are different. Some of them have a lot of resources. Some of them have a few little resources, you know, like, Mm -hmm. you know, on the other side, you know, like how Africans view um, black America. It's like, Hey, like these are, there's his, there's a long historical and continuous narrative of, of systemic oppression that's leading to the images and the things that you're seeing about black culture. And so once everyone just kind of stopped and, and just kind of thought about it, I think both sides are now starting to have much more harmonious relationships because we're not just viewing each other based off of the stereotype and, and the racist idea. We're viewing each other based off of, of, uh, off of a more complete and holistic understanding of each other.
Mm-hmm. 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 Yeah, that's 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 what's well said, and that's wonderfully said. I think that's that's a huge, huge impact and a huge, huge reason why the relationship has gotten so much better over the years, I believe. And yeah, there's this there's this uplifting of our African heritage from from our from from my black brothers and sisters and also from those from 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 my African brothers and sisters that there is a an uplifting of black culture and and black people as a whole. And that kind of leads into this current Black Lives Matter movement and what our role as African as African Americans, what is our role in that? Right. Mm-hmm. And so now our role now to because I think due to our relationship getting better, we kind of see ourselves as one people now and we want to champion those that we want to champion those the, the people that have really have been on the front lines and have experienced mm-hmm. this racism going back to slavery, then Jim Crow, uh, then you know housing restrictions and uh, red you know redlining, gerrymandering, all of these systematic oppressive things that were done to Black Americans that have lived here, and mm-hmm. even though we have not as African American immigrants experience that in real time we can empathize and relate and be the voice be an additional voice that can assist and change real change Mm -hmm. you know i have a question for both you guys um in the history of black americans there have been different times and different ways in movements of a sort of uh, return to Africa mindset that manifests in different ways. For example, W.E.B. Du Bois talked about this a little bit in his writing, and I think he uh, actually died in Ghana. He actually went mm. went to Ghana for his final days. Um, you see Malcolm X. I think he converted to Islam because he felt that it was closer to African heritage. Um, mm-hmm. th- to an extreme example, you have the Hebrew Israelites. Mm-hmm. And so th- th- there are these cultural movements in black America over the past 100, 200 years that have seen Africa as this sort of ideal or this sort of um, overarching concept that can help them escape the oppression of white supremacy in America. What do you guys think about those ideas, those movements? Have they been misguided? Do they have levels of... um, you know, has there been good that's come from those movements? What are you guys' perspectives on that? So I do a lot of <clears throat> thinking and studying in that area in particular as uh, kind of one of the things that I that I kind of bend my ministry towards is um, or shepherding within churches towards is cultural apologetics. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So thinking through how do we make an apology um, for Christianity to a culture that has hostility towards Christianity. Mm-hmm. Um, and particularly in the black community, one of the reasons that that stuff sprouts up a lot, you know, is they don't feel like Christianity um, addresses the felt needs of black people. And so they see things like Islam and um, the Hebrew Israelites and the nation of Islam in particular as spaces where they can go and be black and they see the church as spaces where they go. And it's like, I have to 
uh, assimilate a lot of my blackness, if not all of my blackness, to be in um, that space. And I think um, one one of the ways that I always get, I've you know, having worked in Youth Impact and worked with a lot of um, black families through that through that ministry. Like I've engaged um, a few Hebrew Israelites and we've had really dope conversations where I've just been like, um, man, I actually really respect how you're journeying through um, this conversation and what you're trying to accomplish by embracing this ideology. I would just I would just pose the idea that like um, Christianity has richly thrived um, amongst African peoples and black peoples for a long time. And they have found within that space, um, a lot of space to be culturally black, whatever that looks like, whether that's African black or, um, kind of uniquely American hip hop culture, black, you know, whatever. Um, they found the space within that, within Christianity to do that and to do that effectively. As a matter of fact, um, we've mentioned this on the podcast several times before, but um, uh, Christianity actually its biggest and brightest thinkers early on in church history were in North Africa. Um, and so like, and I would add, there are some, some uh, there's a, there's a little, there's a little more complexity when it comes to Islam um, than originally thought as far as being problematic for African, African people like Muhammad himself was a very lighter skinned person uh, that owned slaves. Um, and, uh, and so there are some, there are some tricky things there that I think even the fact that there had to kind of be a cult, the nation of Islam developed in order to, um, to really address black felt needs that Malcolm X and Muhammad Ali were a part of, I think that should kind of communicate something. And so, so it's really complex, but, um, that, that, those are, that's, that's how I've been, that's how I've been thinking through, especially the last three or four years, kind of that dilemma of just kind of a lot of black people kind of kind of switching gears religious religion wise and saying, oh, I want to. And I, I, this is fair to say a lot of West African slaves that came over were um, they were Muslims when they were in Africa. And I think there's historical reasons for that. I think Christianity was going to get to that area and engage that area eventually because it was already active in Africa. As a matter of fact, my man, Mickey, Ethiopia um, has rich Christian history. <laughs> Even, yeah, yes, yes, you know, yes, it does. <laughs> early portion in the in the church in Acts, you know, and so uh, those are those are those are my thoughts. What you what you got me? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So in terms of that, like you said, Josh, uh, Ethiopia, we are, are the Christian influences in Ethiopia trace way back to, to, to the book of Acts when, when Philip approached the Ethiopian eunuch and deciphered a passage for the eunuch and helped him understand what it was saying. And then that eunuch took it back. And that's kind of, kind of the beginnings of Christianity within the nation of Ethiopia. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I, I'd say it's a, that's a difficult, it's a difficult topic for me because I, I don't, I don't want to speak out of turn just because I don't have enough information to kind of really give uh, a, I guess a, 
a coherent thought in terms of especially the Hebrew Israelites. I've I've encountered a couple of Hebrew Israelites, and uh, I've really just listened. I, I don't know too much about that, but in terms of the Christian influence in East Africa, particularly Ethiopia, it's uh, I would I could venture to say that they are. Uh, I mean the the culture has not been removed. Ethiopian culture was not removed so that Christianity could take its rightful place within, within Ethiopia, right? Like there was there, like you said, Josh, there's room for you to be yourself, whether it's, you know, you're, whether you're an, you know, your African blackness, whether you're in Africa or you're, 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 like you said, you're, you're black America. Uh, There is, there's room for yourself to be yourself. You don't necessarily, you don't have to, be willing you don't have to assimilate in order to become a believer there is no requirement in the bible that says uh that talks about right like salvation is not related to anything besides besides romans 10 10 right you know speaking believing in your heart that jesus is lord and believing in him that god raised him from the dead salvation is not depicted by how you what 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 culture you come with right because there is no there is in revelation 7 9 it talks about that all people will be worshiping together uh you know in front of the god god in front of the throne in heaven will all be together right so uh inherently the bible embraces culture Mm -hmm. the bible embraces uh diversity right the bible does not it does not it does not uh it does not depress it right it does yeah. not it does not suppress your culture rather we should be we should that's why that's why the whole i know this is a little tangent but like co- the color blindness thing right like i don't see color that's why it's so it's so negative right mm-hmm. it's so damaging because we because in, in terms at least of christianity Right. So we want to we, we don't want to suppress your color and your culture. We want to we want to view it. We want to en- embrace it. We want to view it and embrace it and allow you to be fully yourself. And, you know, in our in my particular in our in our church, in our Ethiopian church, the point the church that I grew up in, my parents, they spoke they had they spoke Amharic in their services. They worshiped in their language. They have they have a Bible in their language. They memorize verses in Amharic in their language. And, uh, you know, they were they would after every service, they would recite the Lord's Prayer and Amharic all together. It's like a really cool thing to witness. And there is no. There is no assimilation. They did not have to learn English in order to worship in the quote unquote correct way, right? Because there is none. There is there 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 whatever way that they were comfortable in worshiping in is the way that God receive will receive it. Mm-hmm. And I think that was that's I think that's the whole that's the whole point of it. So hey Mickey, uh tell us a little bit about the kind of historical strains of christianity in africa to the best of your knowledge and and maybe if you want you could focus on some of the ethiopian denominations um tell us about like what theologically at a high level but also culturally what does the african church look like um especially uh when they come to america what do those church communities look like the communities themselves are really really tight-knit i'd say they're extremely tight 
uh, they usually will have a lot of uh, connections, especially for those that are that are believers that are immigrating here. The, the one of the first things that they do is they look for a church, not just a particular church, but usually a church. Any whether at least in my in our terms, in my case, it'd be an Ethiopian church uh, to immediately get plugged in with, because that's kind of their initial life source right there will tell them kind of how to where to where to go and like where to you know simple things like they'll help correct gathering furniture for them and they'll donate things to them so they can get started on their life and um but in terms of theology uh there are two primary uh christians uh, christian sects in ethiopia uh one is the ethiopian orthodox which is the most popular of the two and then there's the there are the ethiopian protestants uh the ethiopian orthodox kind of similar to the greek orthodox uh in terms of theology and uh and in their uh, i guess litur- liturgy their liturgy is very similar and that's kind of uh, initially that's where my my parents were orthodox but they were very nominal uh they're they're nominal orthodox and that's also very common which it is in a bunch of other places around the world right so that's no different um but those are two primary sects and and those two sects they butt heads a lot in ethiopia um they're they're known as in in the ethiopian protestant world and in amharic the the term is bainte so they're called bainthes um and it's a it's I wouldn't say it's a derogatory term, uh, but so at some certain points, one one side believes that the other side's doing it the wrong way, right? Mm-hmm. Like the Orthodox people believe that worship, corporate worship, should be done a certain way versus the bank they should should be done another way. Um, that's kind of the sad part about it. There is some division. Uh, there's and that kind of gets ugly at times, and so that's that's kind of the, the disappointing part about that. But uh, in both cases, like they're both uh, for the most part, those are the two primary uh, sects. And then when they come here, there's also in, in the United States, there are also different Ethiopian Orthodox churches and different Ethiopian Protestant churches um, mm-hmm. kind of wherever you go, depending on the communities. Mm-hmm. That's really good. Mm-hmm. How do those I churches? Do oh, go ahead. Go Josh. Ahead. I was going to ask, how do those churches respond to um, social justice movements in America, specifically like maybe the Black Lives Matter movement? Because, for example, you know, Josh, you've mentioned this before, like the black church has been at the center of civil rights for years and years and years. All these historically black denominations, all the, the biggest leaders in civil rights, a lot of them were ministers. I mean, Martin Luther King. And so, you know, what is the what is the maybe African church? perspective on black lives matter or other civil rights movements Mm -hmm. so so that's a that's a difficult question for me to answer just because of my i guess the distance that i've on you know to no fault of anyone's own i I just i I haven't been i haven't been a member of an ethiopian church for a while now just because mm-hmm. i've moved and uh, I, I mean obviously i still have a lot of connections within the ethiopian church but i would i'd say it's a it's i think i think and overall it's still kind of a mixed bag in terms of i think there's at times there's a lack of understanding still within 
due to th- this movement. I know speaking to my parents, I think I, I, I believe that they're kind of they're pro. They're definitely pro Black Lives Matter. Mm. I can say that. Um, but in terms of it will like will the church like prepare a statement of of, of affirmation for the movement? Uh I don't, I don't necessarily know that because I think they're, like I said earlier about my, my parents' generation, I think there's still, there's, their growth has happened, but I think there's still some level of, of disconnect in terms of like viewing the black, ex, you know, the black experience and kind of having that solidarity with black America as, 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 as people from my parents' generation. One, because they uh, my par- my parents generation they they're they like to some of them like to isolate themselves right and just kind of stick with people that they know especially pe- people that are ethiopian right because it's it's easier and it's doesn't require a lot of effort and they speak the same language right and so i think i think in time when time it may it may get better but that's a difficult question for me to really to give you a concrete answer on, mm-hmm. um, I can kind of only speak really to to my parents because I talk to them every day, and then uh, and you know kind of a few others. But as a terms of a whole, it's difficult. Mm. Yeah, that's that's a that's a that's a really good question, Joe. I, I I'm definitely gonna do some research on that. I've never actually even thought about that. Like, how has the mm-hmm. how have African churches in America like how have they viewed the civil rights movement? Um, and different social justice movements. That's got to be somebody's PhD dissertation right there. hundred percent. Like that's because I mean, I, I like Mickey's answer was probably pretty indicative of the overall view of it is like, because there's already some cultural distance, you know what I mean? Like, it's probably not mm-hmm. like, oh yeah, let's run to battle and get on the front lines for that. I feel like your generation would probably do a better job. Um, uh, theologically engaging that 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 stuff, you know, um, than, than the generation before. So I feel like that answer is pretty indicative. But like I'm, you know, but like, you know, with Pan Africanism and stuff like that. I mean, I'm sure that there was some overlap. So that that someone needs to definitely do a PhD on that. Mm-hmm. One of the questions I have uh, for for you, Mickey, is uh, how what are what are some of the uh, so so ev- so all um, migrant and minority cultures have these particular flavors of oppression that they're going to receive. You know, um, wh- what are some things particular to um, uh, African um, American immigrant cultures uh, and histor- like is historically how what have been some of the patterns of oppression that you guys have received and how can we as black Americans kind of come alongside and champion you guys um, in some of the ways that you've been marginalized in particular and, uh, and disenfranchised in your experience here in America. Mm. See, that's a, that's a really good question too. I, I think this may be a similar answer to a lot of immigrants that have moved here and, kind of have are you know fighting to kind of have their own lives here mm-hmm. but i think in terms of i feel like a lot of times especially in my experience with my with my dad whenever he would whenever he would start to if for example if we make a 
making a call, right, to like tech support. Mm-hmm. Something's really small. It's pretty minor. But a lot of times because if my dad doesn't ask it a certain way or his, his accent is maybe he can't, can't really understand it. And so a lot of times people on the line would just kind of give up and just like, ah, he's, this guy's like, it's too much like to deal with him. So we're just going to, you know, we'll pass him on to someone else who passes on to someone else who passes him on to someone <laughs> else. Right. Like, yeah. and we're just like, man, he just needs some help. And so after a while, like I just started taking over because I didn't have the accent issue. And so the problem would just get solved. Right. And it's a pretty simple thing like that. There's silly stuff. And then also just as soon as you hear someone with an accent, like an African accent, sometimes people, people will assume, and this is, you know, more, you know, you know, years and years ago, but people would assume that you're not smart or you're not intelligent because you have an accent and your English is a little, you know, not, not the best, uh, which is further, which is, which really bothered me. And I know it bothered my dad, but there was nothing he could do about it. And he was sometimes he get really sad about it, um, but he would put a kind of put a, he put a brave face on. But I know he was frustrated because he knew what he wanted to do and he tried to articulate it, but people just assumed that he wasn't. You no, know, I, I, you know they they didn't give him enough time as they would have given someone who didn't have an accent and could speak articulate, you know, kind of more articulate. Uh, their desires or, or concerns towards something. So I knew that really bothered him. And so after a while, again, like I started just kind of taking over and kind of being the mouthpiece just to, so, so things can kind of just go a little faster. And I don't think people, a lot of people realize that still that th- th- these are things that immigrants have to deal with. And I think we have, we just all need to do a better job of kind of getting rid of that inherent stigma that, you know, accent equals unintelligent, right? Mm-hmm. Like that's, that's got to get broken. And we got to, I think we are doing a better job because this, <laughs> we are being connected more and more globally than ever before. Social media is a huge thing, right? Cause people are, people are hearing different the way people, you know, talk differently and, and they're not, and they're not kind of being surprised by, by new things anymore because it's easily, there's much more access than there mm-hmm. ever, has ever been. But I know that bothered my father and that bothers me too when people think like that and i think we just need to do a better job of recognizing that people do like a lot of immigrant families not just africans but a lot of immigrants go through that and Mm -hmm. and um you know be patient and treat them with the same dignity that you would anyone else i love that that's i would um I would be remiss if I didn't ask based off of the brief conversations that we have had um, uh, as the NBA season is, is uh, most likely coming back uh, full throttle um, here at, here towards the end of the summer. Um, who's your, who's your favorite to, to take it home? Uh, so I have, I have, I have my head in my heart, right? Um, Josh, so you me, just opened me, up me, a can of worms. Me. This podcast yeah, is going to go me. on for another hour. <laughs> let me. So I could. Okay. All right. Let me. Let me go with this. I'm gonna. I'm gonna go with my head first. Right. So my head. My head says it's Milwaukee's to lose. Ooh. That's what. That's what not, my head says. Not the Clippers. Not the Clippers. I think it's Milwaukee's to lose. Now I know 
Now we can get real deep here and I can tell you why. Um, <laughs> why, which I, you know, it's, I think it all, I think it all depends on Eric Bledsoe. So okay. I think he is, yeah. he is the, he is the, he is good. The, he is the piece he's maybe I think he may be the most important player in the playoffs, which mm-hmm. is like, because if he can play to the level that I believe he's capable of would not, and not completely freeze, mm-hmm. then I think they can win it all. And I think, and I think, I think they can win it all. And I'm actually going to pick them to win it all. That's mm-hmm. my head. It's my head. Obviously my heart says H town till the day I die. Right. <laughs> like I, I will, I will, I will ride and die with my rockets. I'll, I will, I will, you know, I'll champion Russell Westbrook. Russell Westbrook is one of the, I think he is now the most underrated player in the NBA because people just get angry that he mm-hmm. takes too many jump shots, but obviously they've, they've, they've changed their style of play to accommodate him. And he's now just this, this beast going down the lane and, you know, hit, you know, hitting his going, getting, getting to the line, getting fouled. And I think, it, I mean, but, but then again, like, we have never experienced something like this before. We don't know rust. We don't know what, you know, what, what rust is going to do. People could be out of shape. Like a lot of stuff. This is, this is going to be so exciting. I can't wait for the NBA to come back, man. I have been missing it for so long. And I'm one, I'm excited to see. I'm really excited to see what types of, of messages, messaging that's going to be, you know, percolating out of the league mm-hmm. right in terms of social justice initiatives and black light and the black lives matter movement continuing that message forward i'm really looking forward to that also um so well, you know yeah, the, the, uh, the hong kong comments backfired i know <laughs> but, but you know what i think that was i think that was a really good moment for everyone for for context y'all they basically sure there was some serious um injustices um by China in um in in some areas in in um trying to be vague because I, I don't know like right. details of that situation, but there are some serious injustices being perpetrated by China, but the NBA has a very strong economic um relationship with China. And so uh your Houston owner was real, was real as hell <laughs> and, and and condemning it. But then, of course, like I think there were already NBA players over there currently at the time, like in that area, and the NBA just in particular just just wasn't feeling kind of that they they definitely weren't ready to have that um to have that breach of a of a huge economic relationship and and uh, so that's one of the complexities about justice. And I challenged LeBron a little bit when he when he didn't when he didn't. Um, come out and speak against the injustices that China was doing was I was like, Hey man, if we, if we're going to be about it, we got to be about it across the board. Um, so yeah, yeah. For any of y'all listening, go do some, some research on that. That was a very tricky, sticky situation, but I think the NBA, they're going to have some interesting, they're going to have an interesting path forward to try to not look hypocritical. Um, even though I think they're going to say great things about the black lives matter movement and the issues that are happening in our nation right now. Sometimes you gotta let that hurt your business adventures, even when it's happening somewhere else. Mm-hmm. So broader conversation. But I'll 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 throw my two cents in on the on the question I asked you, Mickey. Um, I think my head and my heart are in the exact same place. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, so so I I think uh, um, I think 
I think LeBron and AD are on a mission. I think that's the best duo, like one of the most perfect complementary duos that we've seen since Shaq and Kobe. Like mm-hmm. I, they play together so well. And uh, I think I think one of the things that LeBron wanted to go ahead and and dismiss the kind of floating rumor was uh, towards the towards, you know, because they had lost pretty bad to Milwaukee. They had two losses to the Clippers. So the two teams that everyone is like, hey, those teams are in your way. You need to be beating those teams. They didn't. And then right before the pandemic sprouted up, they put a nice whooping on Milwaukee. They went into, uh, I say into Los Angeles. They played the Clippers <laughs> while the Clippers were at home. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. yeah and, no. and LeBron, like, he he was like, look, like, we're the we're the we're Los Angeles. We're the team in Los Angeles. And so I just um I, I will say I do I I agree with you. Russ is gonna be a thing, but I would be disappointed in any professional athlete getting paid millions of dollars that did not keep themselves in shape. Right. <laughs> I, right. I really would. They they all got big old home gyms and you know what I'm saying, like in trainers. But Russ will be a thing as far as gameplay. I agree. Um because yeah. when you don't when you don't like when you're not like doing active gameplay that will be a thing but yeah i i I agree russ is a dog russell westbrook is a dog and i think your heart has merit i was literally just playing with him i don't i don't own video games but i went to my little brother's house and i played with russell westbrook and i was able to do things on the video game i just didn't realize that i could even do russell's incredible but uh but now i really i really feel good about the lakers so I'm excited. Joe, any input that you want to bring into this, you you feel free. <laughs> Y'all could be having the most BS takes of all time right now, and I literally would not know. <laughs> Y'all could be playing me for a fool, and I would not know. Just know I that have we have no very trusted takes. <laughs> <laughs> all right. I trust mm-hmm. y'all. You you guys are the guys that I go to. When I want a sports take, I'm like, all right, you're, y'all are my consultants. <laughs> I've conditioned Mickey over the past seven years uh that just to just to kind of like make his heart skip a beat i'll like you know throw out a little a little sports trivia just like something i picked up yeah, that's just would. like speaking mickey's love language is whenever <laughs> i whenever i like be like hey mickey guess what i learned this week and i'll just like whip out <laughs> something that everybody knows right <laughs> hey mickey guess what did you know that kobe wore two numbers in his career <laughs> No, it's so seriously proud. that kind of stuff. I'm it's like so literally proud. that. So uh, I'm always so proud when he gives me those those random texts of sports knowledge that 95% of people know. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just happy that he's one of them. I love that. <laughs> uh, Mickey, yeah, thanks for coming on the program, man. Any uh, any final thoughts? Anything you want to tell our listeners that, you know, kind of one thing that they should know about African culture's relationship to black culture? What's the one takeaway? Yeah. yeah, I mean, I think overall, uh, we should, as Africans, we should be identifying ourselves uh, as 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 with with Black Americans, um, because of, from the outside looking in, whether you're someone that's whether you're if you know you're you're if you're from Ethiopia or from Nigeria or Ghana or any other African country. What the what what most of white America will see you as they will see you as black. There's no distinction in their eyes. So if that's the case, then let's let's champion this this movement and let's let's get behind it. Let's let's be supportive of it. This I mean the one thing that we we can do within your circles if you can't 
you know, whether you, you know, obviously donating to organizations that are championing this movement uh, is, is a great way to get involved. But in particular, your particular circle of influence, that's where you kind of need to start first. And that's kind of where I'm starting, um, making sure that people understand kind of from a, from someone, from a, from, from my perspective and kind of what, what I've felt throughout my life and how this movement is impacting me and what, you know, white America should understand about it. Um, because there's only, I mean, you can hear the, the news, the, the media, the news media is informative in a lot of ways, but it's more powerful when you hear it from someone that's close to you. So use your influence in that way. And, uh, and maybe that we can, we can make some real, real change, some tangible change. So that's what I would say. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, thanks Mickey for coming on the program. Uh, listeners, thanks for listening as always. Um, let us know if you've got any further questions about the African experience. We'll forward those on to Mickey. Mickey, do you have, I don't know, any social media you want to promote? Uh, I know you're not yeah. tweeting about sports every day anymore, but uh, the, the, the sports writer days are behind you, but you have a public platform you want to share? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, anybody, if you have any questions, you can DM me on my Instagram handle. It's at Mickey Gashaw, all lowercase. Uh, go ahead and DM me. My account's public. So I'll, I'll be able to read it if you have any questions. So I'm sure, I'm sure Joel will put that somewhere on some bio of the episode. And if you feel free, if you'd like to, to DM me, we can talk about it. I'd, I'd love to discuss any questions that you may have. Great. Great. Well, thanks, Peggy. Appreciate it. It's a great conversation. Thanks, guys. It's good to be here.